Before we start this episode, I want to give a trigger warning. My wonderful guest, Emily, who I meet today, tells a heartbreaking story of miscarrying twins. So if you decide from that description that this episode is too hard for you to hear, please skip it. Otherwise, I hope that you go into it with an open head and heart because Emily is incredible. And that's the first time I really lost my cool because I was like, no, no, I have two dead babies inside of me. I've already taken the medication. I'm not doing this again. I'm here for today. I'm going to have the surgery today. No ifs, ands, or buts. And immediately the room changed because they realized why I was there. Hey, and thanks for coming back to Please Don't Tell Anyone. I'm Molly Clark, your host, and this is the podcast where you hear unexpected stories by ordinary people. I go and blind all my interviews so that I can hear the story firsthand just like you. Don't tell anyone, I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I had a second semester miscarriage of twins last year and have PTSD as a result of it. I have since had another child and my perception of pregnancy, motherhood, and my life has changed so drastically from losing the babies. I feel like the miscarriage is one of the most taboo topics, but one in four women has experienced this awful tragedy, and I want to share how I survived the loss and everything I learned from it. So when I read that, I was expecting like a 45-year-old woman. (laughs) (laughs) And so to sit across from you today, how old are you? 25 years old. You're 25. Me and you are the same age. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I deduced that from like your other episodes. You had mentioned like how old like roughly you are. And I was like, I think we're the same age. I kind of figured it out. Yeah. I can't imagine going through that type of pain at my age right now. So you are incredible. So I joined the Navy at 18 years old. Um, I just got out six days ago. So seven years. uh, Seven years too long. No, it was a good experience. Thank you. Um, Glad to be done. Um, I'm married to my husband who just got out of the Navy as well. Did you choose to leave or how does the Navy work? Like, do you have to dedicate a certain amount of time and then you're free or... So when you sign up, initially your contract is going to be four years or six years. And so I did a four-year contract. My husband did as well. And then we were stationed in Guam separately. We didn't know each other at this point, but we um, met in Guam. And then we each re-enlisted for an additional three years. So we're saying, okay, we'll give you three more years of our lives. And then um, the last three years were incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, we decided seven years was long enough and Mm -hmm. we're going to start our new life in the civilian side now. Um, so where are you located right now? Where did you move to? I'm in rural Minnesota right now, oh, way up that. north. Um, but I will be moving to St. Paul soon. So okay. I'm getting a good uh, coming back to my roots is where I came from. Okay, cool. So let's just get right into this. So I had my first son um, in August of 2019. And then that was like a few months after we got to Virginia, which is where we were stationed. And um So he was born in August and my husband went on deployment January of 2020. And in that time, I would say he'd probably been around our son maybe six weeks. 
um, of his entire life. And he was five months old when he left. But because of how much you're like, you're out at sea for two weeks, then you're in for two, and then you're out for four, and you're in for one. Like, he just was never around. And so I'd say he probably knew him six weeks in total before he went on deployment. And that was COVID deployment. So everything Mm. got extended. It all got crazy deadlines. Um, And so he didn't come home until August 2020 after our son had turned one. And so, um, yeah. And we knew we wanted to have these two children pretty close together within two years or so, um, our next child anyway. So we decided to start trying right away. And um, I just got this super funny feeling one day. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm pregnant. And so I took a test and it was like right at the dead, like right when I would have been able to test or like, you know, known. And um, I was pregnant and it was like one week before my 24th birthday. And I was like, Oh my God, what a birthday present. Like I'm pregnant. Like it's such a good news. And I got it confirmed and everything like that. And, um, you know, things were going along totally normal. And then, uh, so with pregnancy, you get two ultrasounds, one at like 10 weeks and one at like 20 weeks. And so the 10 week one is to confirm like the pregnancy is still viable, like, you know, how things are going and when you're due, because that's like when they, they know. And so at 10 weeks, I had an ultrasound and she took, put the wand in my belly for like one second. And she goes, you know what? I want to do an alternate internal one just to see. And then um, within like three seconds, she goes, uh oh. And we're like, uh oh. And she goes, it's twins. And it was the weirdest feeling because I had like, twins like the idea the word of it following me everywhere like I was reading Little Women at the time and Meg has twins in it spoiler um and uh I was watching Gilmore Girls for the first time and Lane had just gotten told she was having twins and I was like this is so weird and then like in the waiting room right before the ultrasound I was like how crazy would it be if it was twins so I had this weird like premonition about it Hmm. and she tells me that's twins and I was like holy shit like (laughs) Oh my god. And then you see on like the um ultrasound the two little heads next to each other and it was like the whole world stopped for us because my husband was there and he was like, Holy shit because what month was this? You know, his So at ten weeks you're about two months. I know, but so he came but back in August. Oh yes. This is in November. I remember because okay, wow. he was wearing shorts in November like a lunatic. But to each their own, I guess. But, like, I remember they asked me that because they pull you back first. And they're like, hey, are you being abused at home? And I'm like, no. And they're like, okay, so we can get your husband now. And I was like, they're like, which one is he? And I'm like, the only lunatic wearing shorts in November. That's my dude. Um, <laughs> so this is, like, right before Thanksgiving. And I remember telling my therapist I was so scared. Like, I was like, what if we find out, like, the baby is dead? And, like, you know, I've just been, you know, I've had a miscarriage and didn't know. It. And he was like, well, then you'll deal with it as it comes, you know, like, don't worry about ruining a holiday because you're going through something. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And so when they said that there was a heartbeat, I was like, fuck yeah, things are good. Like, I'm all, can I swear? Of course. Oh my yeah. God, fuck okay. yeah all the way. I do swear quite a bit. So before, the whole adage bit, of yeah. sailors, like, yeah, it's true. Um, and so when they were like, you know, time stopped and like my husband and I were like, oh my God, what is this? Like, how is this possible? Like insane. They're like, do twins run in your family? And I was like, well, yeah, I've got a couple cousins with twins, but they were both fraternal twins. So I figured it was like a weird fluke. Like you just released two eggs, you know? Um, but then when I tell my dad that I'm having twins, he was like, yeah, I had twin cousins growing up. And I was like, that sure would have been great to know before I started having children. What was your um, reaction when you saw that it was two kids? We immediately, we were like, 
like, oh my God, like, this is going to be like, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to, you know, but it was, we were still pretty happy. You know, it was still like a, a incredible surprise, you know, because yeah. we wanted a baby and we're getting two for one deal, you know, and um, we felt really special. I felt really special um, to be having twins. And it really explained why I was like, unbelievably tired and just like I was showing like crazy and I was like this is really I'm having a pretty big belly for how early I was like this doesn't make any sense so it really explained a lot of things um and then so that was at 10 weeks and then you had I'd come back in a couple other weeks to determine if they were fraternal twins or identical twins and so we went back in and lo and behold they're identical twins so like I'm I felt so special that not only am I having twins they're identical twins like how lucky hmm. and um since there's so many issues you, like light up about this which is i can't believe the story is yeah. gonna go in the direction it is but like it'll flip don't worry <laughs> it's got a good flip to it um because twins have so many issues um more likely to have issues i should say uh they do a genetic screening to see like how your genetics look how the babies are looking because they can tell if they have like down syndrome or spina mm-hmm. bifida now all that good stuff and so they test it, and they're like, oh, by the way, this can also reveal gender. That because, like, you're a woman, like, you only have X chromosomes, so if it reveals there's a Y, and they're identical twins, you know you're having boys. I'm like, great. And that was right around New Year's, and uh, my mom was visiting at the time, and so she was like, oh, I want to do a gender reveal for you. So, like, when the doctor calls, like, let me answer the phone. And so she found out. And she got a balloon and she filled it with confetti and then she was bringing it upstairs to like, so she could pop it over our balcony and like have it rain down on us. She popped it on the stairs in a way that she didn't plan. It was just so goofy. And like, we were like, well, it's boys. We're having identical twin boys due January or June 30th. And so that was January and that would have been December 31st, 2020. Yeah. And... Then I went to back to work because the holidays were over. It was like January 3rd, I want to say. And I was in a class. And so I was like in a class for work, learning just new skills I needed to have. Um, and it was January 5th that I was 15 weeks. And I had a just a routine. So there's baby appointments and then there's pregnancy appointments. You have very few baby appointments just because the baby's not there. It's two. You have two baby appointments, the yeah. two ultrasounds. And the rest are just routine prenatal appointments like, what are your symptoms? How are you feeling? Are you gaining the right amount of weight? And so that's what that was. So my husband didn't come to that. It was just, there's no real reason. Yeah. Um, and so I went to that one alone. And it was like the last appointment of the day. And um, because it was twins, I had to have a new doctor because it was now considered like a higher risk pregnancy. Um, and so I met this new doctor. We kind of talked about what was going on and like finished the appointment. And then he was like, oh, by the way, I also would like to do a quick ultrasound just to like, because I'm your new doctor. I want to see what's going on. I just want to check on him. I was like, perfect. I love it. I'm not supposed to see these babies again for like three weeks. And so I'm, I'm jazzed. I get to see him early. Um, puts the wand in my belly and he looks around and he keeps looking. And I'm looking on the screen with so much pride. I'm just so jazzed to see him. And... Uh, he doesn't say anything for a really long time. And I was like, oh, are they giving you trouble? Are they, like, twisting? Like, they're just not helping you look for the heartbeat? And then he said the worst sentence, and he was like, I honestly can't find a heartbeat for either. Hmm. And the whole world stopped. And I just stared at the screen. And then he was like, you know, but I have to have a second doctor legally. I have to have a second doctor come in and look and make sure that I'm not missing something. 
6.0, I will be right back. And he stepped out and I prayed the hardest I have ever prayed in my entire life that the machine was broken. They're in the wrong position. Uh, this doctor's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's looking for. Something um, had to be wrong you know, with him. Yeah. This machine glitch, something. Like, God, something else is wrong. That he's, these babies are fine and he is wrong. And then in a minute later, the doctor came in. And my original doctor came and stood by my side. And he held my hand and we looked on the screen. And she looked for a very long time and didn't say a word. And told me she couldn't find a heartbeat either. And I've never been so alone in my entire life. Um, even the doctor cried with me. The original doctor I had, he stood there and he cried because he felt so sorry for the loss. Um, Was there any explanation as to why? No. So, you know, at first, this sounds really terrible, but my first question is, is it something I did? And I think every single woman who has this experience thinks the same exact thought immediately. Did I do something to do to cause this? And he said, no, I honestly think that, you know, they had some kind of genetic issue that knew they knew that they wouldn't survive. And so they self-aborted. Um, you know, and I, I didn't argue. I didn't question. I just said, all right. Like, I just knew, like. I'm going to have to tell my husband the worst thing he's ever heard. Hmm. And um, I didn't want to call him on the phone. I thought that was too harsh to hear on the phone when he knew he couldn't. He's, he's one of those people who wants to help. And so if I told him on the phone and he couldn't have been there to help, he would have felt even more devastated. Um, and so I kept that to myself. Mm. And the doctor was like, so here's how things are going to proceed next. Um, I'm probably going to call you in a day or two to talk about how you want to remove the babies. Um, he's like, we can let it happen naturally, you know, and just hope everything comes out as it's supposed to. If something stays inside, you could get sepsis, you could get sick, you could die, things like that. He's like, I could give you a pill, which would force you to dilate, and you would deliver these babies dead um, in a surgery. Um, or three was... I think he was going to give me just the the abortion pill and let it come out the way it was. Um, but the only way to make sure that everything was gone and that I was safe from having, you know, necrotic tissue in me was to have the surgery, which is called a dilation and evacuation. So you hear D and C's, which is dilation and cutterage, which is mm -hmm. typically small um, surgery to a surgery to remove smaller babies. But as they get bigger, like mine were. Um, it re requires dilation and evacuation um, because they were just so far advanced. Um, I only had a one. I remember at that second ultrasound where they determined they were identical twins, I asked the doctor, I'm like, what are my chances of miscarrying? And he's like, typically the rule is if you ever get one healthy heartbeat in an ultrasound, you're safe. Hmm. You know, you have less than a 1% chance of losing this babies, these babies. And I was like, that's fantastic, you know. And I didn't just have one ultrasound. I had four. Um, and they had healthy heartbeats all the way around. Um, Roughly, so it was a just, huge I'm, shock. So, no, I was just, I feel like this is one, an ignorant and not a great question to ask right now, but I don't know a lot about like terms of, and how far along when children are. Mm -hmm. Like, roughly, like, what size are we talking about? Like, I actually have a demonstration for you that. Oh, so, my goodness. Thank you. I 
created a box, which I'll go through in a little bit, of all the stuff that I kept um, of their lives. And so I I got death certificates for both of them, and I made little things to hold. So this is roughly how big they were. So it's about oh. the size of a palm, yeah. um, plus a little bit more. And they weighed, um, I think it was like 53 grams each or something like that. Um, so they were very small. Or they, I mean, they looked like little babies. They looked like babies. They didn't look like, you know, the stuff you see, like, as far as, like, clumps of cells where they look crazy, you know. These, these were fully formed babies. Um, but, yeah, they were roughly about the size of a palm each. Going back for a second before we get to the surgery, um, you said <laughs> that when he told you that there was no heartbeat, you had never felt so alone. I, I was surprised that that was your first thought, and it makes sense that that was your first feeling, but I'd, I'd never heard someone say like that. Can you just talk about that a little bit more? Like what that, I mean, the other thing I want to say is you even took on more by not telling your husband right away. Like you yeah. protected his emotions, you protected his reaction. And so you did do it even more alone. And like, that just shows the kind of person you are, but wow, that is lonely. I just felt like, you know, you know, the immediate feeling is like no one in the world could understand this pain. And, you know, nothing is farther from the truth. Every woman I've ever spoken to that told me they had a miscarriage, I feel like an immediate string of their heart in mine. I know exactly how they felt. And just like the feeling of like, it's over. It's over. And I, I didn't get a chance to do it because as soon as like. If it's a wanted pregnancy, I imagine, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody who, you know, is in the situation they don't want to be in. Um, I pictured them rolling around on the floor, you know, chasing their older sibling and, you know, us, all of us eating at the table with two high chairs next to us. And, and all of a sudden that dream was dead. Yeah, you started to plan a life. All this shit I'd planned is just gone. You know, and all these these little faces I picture with the names I was thinking of were for not. It was just empty dreams at that point immediately. And um, I wish so badly for my husband to be there. I really did. Because I felt like, even though this doctor was stellar, this doctor that I had was beyond the pale of a fantastic doctor. Um, he could never provide the comfort that I needed. No. I'm so glad that your husband is the type of man who can provide that comfort. He is, uh, especially because, you know, I, I drove home that day um, and I don't remember driving home. I just remember yelling the entire drive. I like scream cried in my car the entire drive. And all I wanted to do was call my mom and call my husband. But I felt my husband should know first. And that's always how I felt with anything to do with the kids is that he should know first before anyone else finds out. And so I drove home, I walked in the door, and he's playing with our son the you know, usual way he does. And he sees that I have no makeup on my face, and I look terrible. And within three seconds in the door, he asked me what's wrong, and I told him I lost the babies. And his face, when I told him, haunts me. Um, and, you know, we put our son to bed, the normal routine that we usually do, and that was... You know, I've only seen my husband cry six times in the six years we've been together. And we both cried our hearts out that night over losing those boys. Um, 
you know, we talked about how unfair it was and how much we were going to miss them and how loved they are and how just cheated we felt by God. We felt so cheated by the universe, by that doctor who told us, you're safe. Don't worry. Like, you have less than 1% chance. The universe cheated me. Um, Are you very religious? Uh, I wouldn't say very, like, I don't go to church, as I probably, yeah. you know, my mother. No, I just, you're too. making, but, you know, you're, um, you're speaking of God and all these things. I mean, I'm not super religious, right. but so I find it, I'm envious of people who are, you know, to be able yeah. to have that fallback of, like, there's, there's a greater plan here. There, And I do believe stuff like that, but so I was just curious, because in hearing your story, yeah. you're referencing God and, and, you know, it's hard not to be like who do you put point fingers at here? You want to point a finger at? I think someone. you reach for anything desperate. Yeah, you just think someone's got to comfort me. Someone needs to soothe this pain. And you know, who do you think of first as being this person who can just take it all away? Um, and then we felt really guilty. I felt really guilty um, because I can't even tell you how many times I complained about how am I going to pay for daycare. How am I going to, I'm going to have to buy a new car because I can't fit three car seats in the back of my, you know, a Hyundai Tucson. I can't fit three car seats there. I'm going to have to buy a new car. How are we going to pay for food? Like, it's going to be so expensive. Um, And here it was, it felt like I had just, like, the universe was like, hey, you're really worried about it? Don't worry about it anymore. We'll take care of it for you, is how it felt. And, like, it felt like I'd wished it away, and I wished I hadn't. So you took on guilt? Immense guilt. Immense guilt, which I still have today. Mm. Um, and the next day, uh, I took the day off, and that was January 6th. You know, and everything with the riot with the Capitol happened. Oh, my God. 20, yeah, 21. 21. 21. And so the riot at the Capitol happened, and everyone's talking about that, and I'm like, I literally can't take that in right now. I do not have the bandwidth to take anything in with that. And people still talk about January 6th, and I'm like, I remember that day very differently. Um, And then I went into a doctor's appointment, and they gave me mifepristone, which I believe is what the drug is called. I should have checked that. But it's the the abortion pill, essentially. Um, And it just caused me to dilate, and that takes like 24 hours to set in. Um, cause I had surgery scheduled the next day. And, um, so we went in for the surgery. My husband came with me. Um, and they just like the Navy hospital that we had made every process so much more painful. Like the birth of my first son was so painful. This one was so painful. Like the whole experience was difficult. We got there at noon. We were told the surgery is going to be at two o'clock. All of a sudden there's firefighters running through the hallways cause there's a fire in the hospital. And we're like, okay, no worries. Like, um, you know, things are crazy, but they'll probably sort it all out. This can't be the only operating room in the hospital. They'll figure it out. Um, and hours are going by. So we got there at noon. And, like, 2.30 rolls around, 3.30 rolls around. And I'm like, am I still going to get seen today? Like, is this going to happen? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll come back to you. Don't worry. Like, 4.30 rolls around. And we're like, well, we have to pick up our kid for daycare. Like, how long is this going to go? And they're like, well, I think you're going to have to come back another day. And I was like... I don't think that's possible. And that's the first time I really lost my cool because I was like, no, no. I have two dead babies inside of me. I've already taken the medication. I'm not doing this again. I'm here for today. I'm going to have this surgery today. No ifs, ands, or buts. 
And immediately the room changed because they realized why I was there. Um, within an hour, I was in surgery and, um, you know, they give you the memory loss drugs. I have no memories of it. Uh, I was knocked out. They intubated me, the whole thing. And then I woke up and um, some doctor was standing there and I was like, are my babies gone? And he said, yes. And I cried as hard as I could. We didn't get home until like 830 that night or something like that. So my my son was already in bed. Um, and then it was just time to heal. It took like six weeks to heal from the postpartum loss. And I had two That's weeks good. off from work. Yeah, um, I had two weeks off from work to heal, and I just... Two weeks, that's all I gave you? <laughs> I was lucky to get it. I know a lot of people in the Navy who didn't get any time. Um, and I just basically haunted my house for two weeks. I didn't feel like a real person. I just kind of drifted around. I wasn't eating at the time. You know, my son would go to daycare, and he'd come home, and I wouldn't interact with him because I was just so heartbroken and so lost. And then uh, two weeks, they had a postpartum visit where I'd go and see the original doctor who did the surgery. Um, and he told me that they did an autopsy on the corpses and on the placenta, and everything came back normal. So there was no reason as to why they had died. They had no reason. Um, and then he offered for me to see them. And... Uh, this oh might be God. this might be too graphic. If this is no. if you don't want to hear anything graphic, no, no. tell me and Please. I won't. You could always cut this out of the podcast too because it's pretty intense. But I'll do a trigger before one. I want you to yeah. be as honest as possible. Before I, he's like, "Do you, would you like to see them?" And I said, "Before I see them, I'd want to know what they're like because I know that second trimester losses like they take on a lot of damage and removal because you're essentially delivering you're delivering dead babies uh, and so i was like i need you to detail exactly what they're going to look like so i can prepare myself hey guys it's me again i am interrupting this because emily decided that we should cut the graphic detail of what her babies looked like and now we will pick up again right after those details were shared i the only thing i remember from that was I dug my fingernails into my my thigh so hard that I was cut when I got home I looked at it and I was like I cut myself because of how hard I was gripping when he was telling me that and um I confirmed with my husband because I wanted him to have a say as well and we both decided that we did not want to see them but we would like their remains um and so we had them cremated and we picked them up like a week after they were cremated and they've been with us ever since. And that's when I started putting together my box full of everything for them. I guess that's pretty much the end story of them. But then we, after I'd healed, we decided to try and have another one. Because we still wanted to have a baby. And two months later, I got pregnant again. On Mother's Day. Oh my god. Of 2021. And, you know, so much relief, but equal parts fear. Um, terrified. Yeah, I'm terrified for they, you. <laughs> they told me he was due January 16th, and um, this next baby. And where all before I we get for, to that, where was your mental state? I don't remember anything from January to April of 2021. It's all blank. I have no memories of my son during that time. I don't know what I was doing. Or, you know, anything about myself or what was going on in the world. That time is just gone. Were you diagnosed with postpartum? No. 
Um, I was seeing a therapist at the time. I ended up going in between therapists at that time. Terrible timing, but... Yeah, but you um, gotta find the right person, especially during something like that. Yeah. And he was not it. So I had to no, find a new person. I can't believe... Um, I can't imagine seeing a male therapist going through a f- such such a female... And that's what caused me to be like, I, I gotta find someone else. This is not it. Um, I need to find someone specialized in this kind of loss. Um, good for you. And I ended up doing that, so that was good. Uh, but yeah, that time is just gone. It's gone from my memory. I have no idea what was going on. And I feel terrible that that time is just erased. I look at my phone at pictures I'd taken, and I have like eight pictures during that three-month, four-month window. And I'm like, God knows, like, I'm never going to see my son at that age again. But I can't remember it. I mean, I'm sure you hear this a million times, and it's so not my place to say because I'm just supposed to listen. But, oh, my God, Emily, I just want you to give yourself so much grace for that time. <laughs> you did everything I try. I'm also my hardest critic <laughs> you'll ever meet. I'm the harshest critic of myself. <laughs> I know, but, oh, my God, you're a powerhouse. The second pregnancy is, or the pregnancy after was the really fearful time of my life. Um, I'm sure I spent the entire time so scared um, and not really believing he was ever going to be real. I'm sure it always felt. I'm so sorry. I keep sniffling. It's going to ruin. No, my God. Sniffle. Just cry all you want. (laughs) Um, So then I was pregnant. I found out on Mother's Day and then I spent the next nine months terrified and not believing this baby was going to be real Um, because he just didn't feel real to me. He felt like this hypothetical child that might be someday you know and here I am growing and growing and like people are showing me on ultrasounds he's doing great he's a really big baby he's you know and I just couldn't believe it and then I got to like 33 weeks pregnant and I was looking at my house and I'm like I'm not ready for a baby holy shit like I gotta step into gear and start getting stuff together but like my first ultrasound my husband was underway again so he wasn't around and my sister-in-law was gone at her own, like, doctor's appointment. So I asked my brother-in-law, my husband's brother, like, would you come to this doctor's appointment with me, please? I cannot go alone. And this poor guy came with me. He's, like, 21. No no business, like, no no idea about what pregnancy is like or anything. And I'm like, I'm like I just need you to be in the room with me. I can't do this alone. Good and for he you came knowing with me. what you need. <laughs> and then at my 15-week, or, like, routine appointment I made my husband come with me because I was too nervous um and I was like I need you to do an ultrasound today I need you to do it to soothe my my fears about this and when they showed me a heartbeat beat was still good I still didn't believe him um it just didn't feel real but uh you know as we're getting to the end towards the due date things are looking like they're starting to go south like you're starting to have all these health issues you know um, we think you're going to have to have this baby early. And my whole goal was to not this baby after New Year's, but not on January 7th. I could not have him share an anniversary of the death of the twins for his birthday. Because it would just, it is too much. It's asking yeah. too much of my being. I can't do it. And so I just begged for him to hold on until past that date. And he made it to January 10th. So thank God he doesn't share the dates. Um have a healthy baby and he's doing great um but his his early life is soured yeah because all i think about when i look at my one baby is that there's supposed to be another one beside him and they were due june 30th 2021 so they'd be about a year old at this point 
And so I'm like, yay, this beautiful baby I have that loves me so much, that I love so much, and it's just a perfect addition to our family. But I think about the two little babies that were supposed to be here. I don't, uh, my pregnancy was not a joyful thing for me. Um, it was just a very fearful time. And so, like, uh, I honestly believe, you know, these babies died inside of me. And I think a part of me died with them. The part of me that was excited about pregnancy, the part of me that was, you know, um, joyful without abandon, you know, that just was so enthusiastic about, you know, all these aspects of my life is gone. And what's left is a person who's very reserved and, you know, I'd like to say don't take things for granted, although I probably still do in some aspects, but, um, I'm a very different person and I feel bad that my children will never get to know that part of me that was you know, bubbly and enthusiastic, and I still can be those things, but I don't think it was it will ever be to the level it was before them, before the twins. Yeah, you know, when you talked about your pregnancy with the twins, that light in you came out. Like, it's in there with them, you're right. Somehow you, the three of you are connected. And I plan to be buried with them. I have their ashes in the world's smallest urn. Um... I wanted to have a special urn made for them. Um, and I needed to be engraved, I thought. And it was one thing that gave me a lot of peace when that um, when that happened. It was the first thing they saw when they opened their eyes was the face of Jesus. You know, as desperately as I wanted it to be my face or my husband's, they weren't alone when they died. Um, I feel like, you know, when I've heard s- similar stories of miscarriages, uh, you know, some mothers have this view that then their next child is those kid, you know, like those spirits and all of that. And it doesn't seem like you look at, you know, you, you've individualized your new child from these two kids. It doesn't seem like to you they're all in one, right? You really do separate. I do believe that. Yeah, I don't think it's fair to put on him the loss of his brothers. I don't think that's, you know, a way to consider them all together. I do think the two of them together, I do consider them as one unit, you know, because they, they were together their entire existence. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think it's fair to the youngest to be like, well, your brothers are with you. Like, I think it's just too big of a burden to carry for anyone growing up. I plan to not talk about the twins too much to them as they grow up. Um, I just don't want them to carry my sadness. I want them to grow up with the, you know, reckless abandon of childhood where everything is new and exciting and um, I don't want them to carry sadness for um, things that ne- will never be. You know, the everything from after that changed my perspective on motherhood, on, you know, pregnancy and, you know, how things are handled with, with miscarriages because, you know, one in four women have them. And I remember after it happened, I reached out to my cousin's wife because she was due with the baby at the same time I was pregnant with my first. And she lost her baby and I kept mine. And I remember Mm. not wanting to talk about babies in front of her because I felt like it would hurt her too much. And, you know, and then when I lost mine, I reached out to her and I said, when does it get better? When does it get better? Because it felt like it was never going to happen. 
I felt like I was just going to live in that pit forever. And she ended up sending me this letter um, all about it's the shittiest club to join, but you're in this club now and you have so many members here with you that like they feel your pain, they feel your sorrow, and they loved your babies as much as you did. Um, and she sent me a little ring to go with me to remember them by. And it was that every twist and turn has its purpose that I wore for a short period of time. But I thought that that her should be honored with the twins. Yeah. And so reaching out to her gave me a lot of strength. You know, my mom had one as well, but she was like, you know, it was 40 years ago. I don't, you know, I think about him. So I think about the baby every so often, but it's not like as big of a part of my life anymore. Um, <clears throat> and so when you like, hear that does that scare you or excite you that you'll be like I could see that going two ways hearing that like on one hand it's like am I gonna forget these two when it, no I never feared that I know um, okay I think it's that you will always grow around your grief you know losing them gutted such a large part of my heart but um and the grief takes up so much part of my life but my life has had to grow around this grief. It can't just stay in there. Mm-hmm. You know, it had to grow. My life had to grow to absorb my youngest into my life now. It has to grow to be excited about these new changes in my life. And so the grief never got smaller. I just had to grow around it. Um, and I just, you know, I think we really need to change the way that we talk about it. Because it sounds like people, you know, either people went one of two ways when when they heard about what happened. Either... They would say things like, it's God's plan, it was just meant mm-hmm. to be, you know. Um, <clears throat> and I even said these things beforehand, and if my friend Bates ever hears this, Bates or his wife, please know how deeply sorry I am. But back then when they had a miscarriage, I was like, oh, thank God you hadn't told anybody, you know. Like, it'd be so hard to tell everybody that you lost the baby. And now I think of what a dumbass thing to say. What a terrible thing to say. I feel awful thinking about it. Um, So people either went that way or they didn't say anything. They acted like my babies never existed, like I never went through this. Um, And I think people do that to avoid causing more pain because they don't know what to say and they don't want to say something that would hurt me. But acting like they never existed broke my heart constantly. Yeah, so... How, what is the language you'd like to see in this world around it? How do you think women could be, you know, what would you have wanted to see from your peers in the community when you were going through this? I had one friend who handled it in a way that I thought was exactly what I needed. I can't speak to anyone else, but what I needed is I wanted to talk about them. I wanted people to acknowledge that they existed, that they lived, and that they were loved, and that they weren't just, you know, a weird taboo topic they shouldn't know about. He just sat there and he listened to everything I had to say about them. And I was like, yeah, I got their ashes back. And he was like, oh, you had them cremated? Like, what are your plans with their ashes or whatever? It was just like, he didn't He didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. Like, um, thank God he didn't tell anyone or it's God's plan. Because that, it's all just empty, you know? How could it be yeah. God's plan to give me this terrible heartache? Um, how could it be... You know, what did I do to deserve this? Like, how come I had to go through this versus everyone else? Um, He just sat there and he listened. He'd ask me very simple questions about them, you know. Like, he'd ask me how big they were and I would answer. But I think that everyone would have to answer, you know, 
I know other people who are like, I don't want to talk about it ever again. But I wanted to talk about my babies. I didn't want to act like they were just this weird blip in my life that is too sad to talk about. Because they well, were my there's, babies. There's a also a, like a military mental health stigma that like everyone in the military is very tough and that you know you're not going to talk about things and people have PTSD you know it's like don't bring it up around them and things like that and to see that you are someone to go through pain which so many people not in the military don't even do let alone in the military and you know look at it right in the face versus go around it you are the epitome of someone who's feeling their feelings which is the greatest strength of all but I don't know. I just I just want to say how incredible that is. It's also a male dominated area, and so yeah, I was dealing with a lot of men who were like, cannot relate to this in any way. Like, can't don't understand. How did your husband deal with it? I mean, you don't have to go too much into it if you don't want. But I'm just curious, like how is how have you guys gone through that as a couple? Because you got married so quickly too. Um. I was terrified that we were going to end up divorced because you know most marriages that children are lost um end up in divorce because it's just so hard to try and rebuild your life after that um but luckily nothing like that ever happened it was never even suggested we never really went through any hard times after it i do think it brought us closer together but a lot of his perspective was there's nothing i can do to change it so like why just wallow in the sadness of it um he still feels it you know we talk about it every so often he's like yeah i was driving home and i thought of them Um, anytime we talk about them, we usually cry together, you know, thinking about them and how, like, he says that's the one thing in his life he can't make any sense out of. Yeah. You know, he's got his own trials and he's like, yeah, all that stuff was to make me tougher, all that stuff, but I can't understand the twins lost. I'm like, me either. (laughs) Like, um, but a lot of, he didn't really want to talk about it too much, um, and that was hard for me, but that's, like, where therapy came in handy, so I had Yeah, that. I was going to say. But a lot like, of his perspective was, like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. He wanted kind of to just, what like, we were saying. Yeah. Let it go, and, you know, he can't fix it, so, like, he doesn't want to feel sorry about it all the time. I hope that, and this is probably out of place to say, but I hope that you do talk about them with your kids as they grow up, because it's such a part of you. It's such a part of their mom. It's such a part of the pain that she's gone through and the strength of it too. And I think if you harbor it, they'll feel that versus talking about it. Maybe when they're older, I just don't want them to be like, I mean, I do have the box out and display in our house. Good. Um, And so, you know, if they ever ask me questions about it, I can answer it, you know, um, but I don't want it to be like, yeah, talk about their two brothers that aren't here too much. You're so cautious of everyone else's feelings around all of this. Yeah. It's probably something but I, I feel like on in myself. <laughs> I mean, I think that just, yeah, that's, that's the kind of person you are, which is an unbelievable thing. I mean, you dedicated the first part of your life to service to begin with. You went on the water. I Literally, the idea of going on a cruise boat makes me want to jump out the window right now, like a luxury cruise, let alone, go, I'm sure you've been like on a submarine or on a boat overnight. I mean, I just can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah. Um, I actually, weirdly enough, never went on a boat. Uh, the way it worked out, yeah. So I went overseas, and so that counted as, okay. like, my sea time. And mm-hmm. then we got married. The Navy's policy is that if you're dual military, if both of you are in, one person's going to go to sea and one person's going to go to shore in case you have children so you have someone around to take care of them. 
and my husband wanted to go to sea and I wanted to like have her start a family. So I went to shore and so I spent seven years in the Navy, never been on a boat. It's kind of a, it's, it's hard to call my, my husband says, you're not even a sailor. Like you've never been on a boat. And I, was like, I know, but <laughs> in your training, uh, in your training though, did you have to be on a boat? No, they just, uh, like boot camp, <laughs> they treat it like a boat where like, you just never really go outside and stuff like that, but you don't really like, yeah, no, no, no overnight. Oh my God. I could never yeah. do so much of what you guys have done and especially what you've just gone through. And I just want to thank you, Emily, for for feeling safe enough to, to share that this here and for feeling like you want this to be a public story. And I can, I'm already so excited for the amount of women that I know are going to watch this and go, <laughs> oh my God, I feel seen. Well, I think one of the biggest things that I learned from it is that if this baby is wanted, celebrate it don't wait until you're out of the first trimester you're you know not to say that you're never safe but if this is a baby you want you tell everybody you tell them how excited you are like mm -hmm. where you're at and you know you celebrate that baby from the moment you know about it if this is what you want um don't wait don't postpone joy and all that because you know you're never like, you shouldn't wait to tell people about it because, it, God forbid, something does happen. You'll have that many more people standing next to you to to lean on when you need them. And then talk about your babies. Talk about your, your, your lost ones. Like, they're not lost. You know, every loss, every baby that's been lost to a miscarriage, I have loved them. Even though I'll never know their mothers, I'll never know them. Like, those babies are loved and they are missed and... um I think everybody should talk about them because one in four, one in four women, you know, have lost them. And that's what's even more scary with the whole Supreme Court change is that, you know, technically I've had an abortion. If this were today, like, you know, after last week's decision, would you have not been able to have the babies removed? Like, how would that work? I don't know how that would work because um, I know that technically in a, in, a, in my medical record, I've had an abortion because I had the drugs and I've had them physically removed from me um, via surgery. I'm not sure how that would be documented, you know, uh, as far as like legal now, but it, it does scare me because it's still considered an abortion, you know, and as far as like OBGYN records, I've had two live births and one abortion. Even though it wasn't an abortion that I chose, it was a miscarriage. They died on their own. But, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that scares me. You know, I had all the medical resources in the world. I still lost these babies. And it's documented as an, as an abortion. And even if I didn't want them, I shouldn't, you know, I, I would have found a way not to be pregnant. It's, it's just the most scary time in the world. I can't even, like, I, my husband is so tired of, like, how many times I bring it up a day. But I just can't stop thinking about no, it. No, I'm so glad that you're bringing it up. I, I mean, I think Future generation, I don't know how it's going to work. It's just too terrifying. No, to and the other, the other thing so much about this decision that I've been confused about is like fallopian tube pregnancies. What are those called? Eptopic? Ectopic, or something yeah. like that. Now, I mean, those are all under this too, you know? I think that we all need to open our minds to really what abortion is bigger than, you know, what it's stigmatized to be. Because as you just said, yours are documented as that, even though these were two very wanted children. And, um, and I needed, were, I mean, I chose that surgery because I didn't want to gamble my, my health, my life. Or, you know, I was like, well, how long would it take for them to naturally 
speak spelled on their own. He's like, it could take weeks. And the idea and of who knows the complications around, of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he's like they very. There's a possibility that something could be left behind, and that's dead tissue you're walking around with. But it would have delayed me getting pregnant again because it would have taken so long for them to be expelled. And this was a safe way to make sure that everything was removed. Plus, it gave me a chance to, you know, have the autopsies done. Yeah. Dig further into why they died, even though nothing came of it, you know, and that they were still perfectly healthy and there was no reason that they should have died. Um, Oh, I added one. I wanted to add one more thing about. Please. If you have this, if if you have a miscarriage, it's not your fault. In my logical adult human brain, I know that I did nothing to cause this miscarriage. I know that I couldn't have changed anything. But that same brain wonders if maybe that one time I didn't have McDonald's because I was too tired to cook, that could have made all the difference. Maybe if I'd taken that nap when I really needed it, could have made the difference. And that's one thing about the stages of grief that I think is complete bullshit because I think I will be in one stage. I think I'll be in the stages of grief about this for the rest of my life. I bounce around between the stages all the time. Um, The bargaining stage. I remember even right before the surgery, I was like, you know, maybe that machine was broken. Maybe that one machine that I had the ultrasound on was broken. I should ask them to do another ultrasound. And then I think back on it and I'm like, those babies were still, still during that ultrasound. They didn't move. They were gone. Like, don't bargain with yourself and, and think, like, maybe it was possible they were gone. And then I'll go through stages where I'm so angry at the world that this happened and how much I've had to suffer from it, like how unfair it is. Uh, and then I'll go through loss and, and sadness, and then I'll feel acceptance about it. Like, I've felt acceptance about the last few days, but I know that I'll be on TikTok and someone will talk about their twin boys who are a year old, and I'll think of mine. And I'll be right back in it. Or I saw somewhere that 2021 was the highlight year of twins. Hmm. But my twins of 2021 didn't get to be. Um, So it's things like that. I truly believe that the stages of grief are bullshit. You'll go through them over and over and over again. And just know in your brain that it's not your fault. It just, it can't be your fault. It's, these things happen without reason. In my case is a perfect example of there was no reason and there's no comforting words about that. It's just the way it is. And all you can do is grow from it and learn from it. And know not to say terrible things like, oh, thank God you didn't tell anyone. Now you know that, you know, the things you say and don't say matter through this situation. Thank you so much for sharing this story here. Thank you for Thanks letting for us in. Thank you for letting us all listen. Oh, my God. I feel so weird and like I shouldn't ask you the final where's your favorite place to eat question that I ask everyone. I have thought about it. Um, okay, I knew this question was coming. So I just left Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, there's actually a Route 58 delicatessen in Virginia Beach that ships in its like corned beef and like cheesecakes from New York. and It's stellar. Um I gotta get to know St. Paul before I can answer that about St. Paul. But here, do you in... know the name of the place in Virginia? Yeah, Route Fifty Eight Delicatessen. Oh, it's called that. It's not on yeah, Route Fifty. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. Oh my god. They just gave it some goofy name. Um, uh, as far as up north here, the Village Square in Walker, Minnesota, is where I like to eat. Okay. But. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and follow the podcast wherever it is you listen to it so that we can bring you more unexpected stories by ordinary people. And if you didn't like the episode, forget what I just said and just please don't tell anyone. Do you have an unexpected story to tell or know someone who does? We'd love to have you on the pod. Please apply at please don't tell anyone pod at gmail.com or follow our application link in bio of our Instagram, please don't tell anyone pod or TikTok account.